being social and not transactional and creating an experience in a relationship with who you're selling to is really important. And it's obviously the hot button today. I think we understand the psychology of making a deeper connection with the people that we interact with and sell to. Welcome to the Making Sales Social podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join Bryn Tillman and me, Bob Woods, as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients, so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Making Sales Social. I'm really looking forward to my conversation today with Natasha Miller. She's the award-winning bestseller, author, three times Inc. 5000 entrepreneur and speaker. And today, Natasha is going to talk to us about how we can understand that it is not enough to be resilient. I'm really excited about this conversation. She's also the author of Relentless Homeless Teen to achieve the entrepreneur dream. And she also runs a program called Memoir Sherpa. Welcome, Natasha. Hey, thank you for having me. No, thrilled to have you here today. Uh, before we jump into this phrase that it is not enough to be resilient, which I'm really looking forward to this conversation because all of us are, you know, we try, we, we strive to be resilient. And so why is that not enough? Going to be great. We ask all of our guests, uh, what it means to them to make their sales social. Yeah, I think that being social and not transactional uh, and creating an experience in a relationship with who you're selling to is really important. And it's obviously the hot button today. Yes. I think we understand the psychology of making a deeper connection with the people that we interact with uh, and sell to. And it really has to be a win-win for both people. And so that is what I consider social selling is that relationship piece. I love that. And I think it's so important that we don't look at social selling from a, a cold calling platform or lead gen. And so I love your, de your definition or your insights on what makes, uh, well, making sales social or social selling. So thank you for that. Okay. I'm excited to dive in. Uh, first, actually, Share with us what your definition of resilience is. My definition is the same definition that's in the dictionary. It's oh. where, you, you're, you, where we are today, then if something happens, an illness, a setback, something like that, that puts us below that, that bar, you need to be resilient in order to bounce back to where we are. Mm -hmm. But does that get you to where you want to go? Does that get you to your goals, to your dreams, to beyond what you ever thought was available to you. Absolutely not. There's more to it. And what you need to be instead of just resilient, which of course you need to have that skill and that and that rubber band ability, you, you must be relentless in the pursuit of your endeavors. Interesting. So resilient takes you to neutral. Yeah. And relentless takes you to your goals. I believe that. I really do. I mean, I hear so many people saying, oh, She's so resilient. And I'm thinking, well, okay. That's step I, one. Yeah, good. We don't want people not to be resilient. But we're halfway there at resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting. Tell me a little bit about your story. So I know before I even ask that, 
I know one of the things you do really, really well is help people really tell their story, write their memoir. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you've done this. And, you know, this was when I recognized earlier in our conversation that your story is that you were this homeless teen. And now you really have an amazing entrepreneurial career. So tell us a little bit about that story and how you made that a book. The story, you know, I thought I was special while I was writing this book. I really did. I thought that I had this crazy life full of very low and quite high inflection points. And it turns out I'm not special at all. There, most of us have that, but what we don't do is it's not cocktail discussion. We don't wear it on our sleeve. And so I wrote this book um, about my life and, and, this is the dramatic overview is that I was treated very unwell as a child. And that's an understatement, but on Christmas day, when I was 16 years old, I was driven to and dropped off at a homeless shelter by my father. And I never got to come home. So I've been on my own since then. And you can imagine writing checks, you know, we're going to bounce for food. So many people have done that. I'm not special there. But what happened to me was I had this relentless pursuit of so many things, proving myself as valuable, uh, knowing that I had a talent and a skill set that should be paid attention to and honored. So I went from bouncing, writing checks I knew were going to bounce to 22 years in business, being able to pay over $30 million to employees, vendors, talent, artists, because of my core business being in events and entertainment. That's a rags to riches story, both, you know, financially, but more emotionally and mentally. So can you share with us a little bit of that pursuit? I mean, you don't have to go, I I want them to go, I want everyone to go buy the book to hear the whole story, but you know, how do you go from being in a homeless shelter to starting your first business? Well, when you are in a homeless shelter and you're young and you aren't getting the support, financial support from your family, I I eventually got my own apartment. And then I, in high school, was working a full-time job as a hostess at a restaurant Mm -hmm. because I wasn't old enough to serve food and drink, right? So that was a choice versus some other choices that someone in a similar situation might make where, you know, they're aligning themselves with people that aren't necessarily good for them, you know, partying all night, sleeping on couches, I was supporting myself. And then I also happened to play the violin and I was very good for my location. If you stacked me up against the entire world of 16 year old violinists, I do not know how I would, you know, appear top or bottom, but I was performing with my string quartet at private social and corporate events. I basically had started my business without knowing I was starting a business uh, at the age of 15 and 16. Wow. That's fabulous. How did you end up going into the event planning space and design? It was a natural accident. How's that for a word? Natural accident. Mm-hmm. So my string quartet and my jazz ensemble, because I'm also a jazz vocalist, we're performing for these smaller weddings and social events and also corporate gatherings as background music. And as I got older uh, and became double booked, triple booked, quadruple booked, 
instead of what most musicians would do. So Bryn, if you called me, I would say, oh, you know what? I'm busy on that night, sorry. That's what most people would say. I said, you know what, Bryn, I'm already booked. My group is booked, but I'll bring in a group that's as good as I am, that's similar to what I do, and maybe even better and manage them for you. So I was doing that for years unofficially. I didn't know that was a business. It was just a hustle. It was just a way to be able to take a piece of the pie in order to pay rent and feed myself. Um, and then I officially turned that into a business in 2001. And it just started snowballing and growing and scaling. And uh, then we ended up planning people's events because we were so good with systems and processes and analytics and logistics. Looking to up your LinkedIn game? The Social Sales Link team has you covered with our LinkedIn Sales Accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash in for more details. Again, that's socialsaleslink.com slash in. Which a lot of creative people aren't. They don't have that balance of left side and right side brain. So I think that's amazing story. I don't want to get too off track, but there was a, a company uh, called U.S. Maintenance, and I knew from there became uh, national at least, and I knew the two people that started it. They're a husband and wife in their basement. They're one of their sons went to nursery school, preschool with my kids. And uh, I sat down with her and I said, you know, Nancy, how did you guys do this? Because you've built this global brand and they started off really as snow removal people and, um, main, you know, maintenance, outdoor maintenance. And her story is very similar to yours in that she started just um, outsourcing and managing companies so they ended up you know getting the target over time and you know there were targets nationally and they their company managed all of the grass cutting and the snow removal and all that mm -hmm. nationally and Brilliant. so you end up with these big national camps but it was that same philosophy and you're only the second person i've talked to that that actually implemented that and i think it's brilliant so thank you, thank you for sharing that was awesome so talk a little bit, most of the people that are listening today, most of our listeners are entrepreneurs or people responsible for selling and, and delivering. So it's a you know, it's that balance. As you grew this business, and clearly you've grown a fabulous business, how did you balance sales and delivery? Well, that's a question that is uh, a good one for even today. Even at the point we are, we are making and baking. So that's what we use on our, you know, that, that's a funny term that we say uh, inside is that sometimes our salespeople are creating that sale with the client and then producing that event. Uh, but we actually do have, you know, a team in place where the salesperson, if everything's going well, <laughs> sells the dream. Mm -hmm. And then the operations team executes. So that's the hope. Now, does that happen every time? No. And as you grow and grow and grow, it really does have to be separated. Interesting. Right? The, the more yeah. people that you have, the bigger events, 
you know, you, you really do have to have someone because the skill set as you get bigger, there really is a defining difference between the salespeople mm-hmm. and the designers and the implementers and the producers. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, see, initially it was all one role and you split the role in a sense. Oh yeah. Initially it was just me doing everything. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, like the and average. Good. At, at the beginning, right. I know what it takes. I know the positives and negatives of every role, including bookkeeping. And so, and it also allows me to be able to hire well, but I today don't work in my business entire productions day to day. I work on it about 20% of my time in strategy and vision. And Mm. so the team is really, they're turning on the wheels. Yeah. My one question around entrepreneurship, and I remember the day that I did this and it was really scary. But when I moved from solopreneur to payroll, (laughs) right? That is terrifying. It's terrifying. And it worked out fine. But talk to me about how you knew the moment it was time to pull that trigger. Well, the first 10 years of my business really were a lifestyle business for me to support my performance recording career. And when I saw entire production starting to grow and scale without me putting too much into that initiative, I had to make that decision. Do I want to hire interns and inexpensive contractors and people that aren't sticky to my brand? And I decided, you know, I tiptoed into it. I hired someone part-time, then she showed to be valuable and reliable. Then I put her on full-time. So there was one person Then I hired a bookkeeper in-house um, part-time And then I just started tiptoeing into, you know, a bigger staff before the pandemic, I had a million dollar payroll and I'm almost back up to that now a year, by the way, Wow, (laughs) not much. That's a lot of um, responsibility. It is. Yeah. And, and I get it. And, uh, you know, I, I love the idea of kind of baby stepping it. Uh, And that's something that I did as well. Once I, my employee had opened up enough space in my world to make more sales, to make more than I was paying, I could bring on the next one. So that was always my goal. So, so I love that as we're coming in kind of uh, at at our time and we're a little over because I've just enjoyed this so much. I'd like just to ask you a quick question on the, you're the memoir Sherpa, right? Um, Entrepreneurs, you say should be writing their own story. Why, why should they, and how would they get started? I truly believe so many entrepreneurs write a book, usually on their subject matter of, of their zone of genius. We need those books, but do we really, I mean, honestly, it's a wonderful business card. There are a lot of reasons to do that. And I may one day do that very thing, but the response I've gotten and the deeper connections that I've received from readers on the story of my life are so much more incredible and people are learning. Like you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable before Mm -hmm. you write a memoir. So if you can't be vulnerable, don't bother. That's my advice to anyone. You do not have to spill every single thing that you've ever done that you don't want people to know about, but you do have to be vulnerable in a couple of places. And I think learning about each other's uh, life and all that stuff that you don't bring with you to a cocktail party, right? Is so important. There's so many 
lessons and you can leapfrog and transform your life by reading the stories of others. So I'm clearly passionate about it. And the way you get started with me is that I have a masterclass called Roadmap to Your Memoir. And it teaches a little bit of, you, you get start started writing your memoir. It's a free program. And then you figure out, you start thinking about how you want to publish, regardless of how you've published before and how you'll publish in the future. And then there's a little bit of how to market a book and when do you start marketing a book? Mm. And if you feel then, like if you get revved up and you're like, this is it, this is my time. And I like how Natasha has everything arranged and how she executes the program, then you can sign up to be part of Memoir Sherpa, which is a step-by-step program. And it's my signature system of how to do it in a way that is more simple than doing it by yourself, for God's sake, don't ever try that. It's a mess, I did that at first. And um, I just, I love it. And the people that have gone through the program love it and are so thankful and I'm so proud of that. So it's great. And and is there a specific link to that? I'm looking in my notes. I don't see one, but how can they find, how can I, I can send you the link, but you can go to natashamiller.com and there are links there uh, to the roadmap to your memoir program. There's also a quiz about what the best publishing path is for you, but I'd really start with the roadmap to your memoir masterclass. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Last question. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? You really didn't. I think we covered so much ground. Well, good. I think we. I learned so much and I enjoyed this very much. So thank you for our listeners. Natasha Miller is on LinkedIn. Go to natashamiller.com. Check out her podcast and her book and uh, just stay in touch because she's got lots of great content out there. In addition to making sure that you are connected to Natasha, make sure that when you are out and about, that you're making your sales social. Thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing, sales training, and social selling strategies that will set you apart. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.